0: Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history, using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. This is Joe. And I'm Ryan. Congratulations. You have found the
1: internet's most wonderful podcast about Scandinavian dial-up jukebox songs. We are going to start this episode, like every episode, with some trivia. You know more. I
2: know you know more than
3: I know,
1: you know, know. okie dokie I'm going to uh start trivia today I have an audio trivia quiz for you Joe and you are beloved audience and so what I need
0: you to do is I'm gonna play I think it was what's the name tracks what what's the name what did you name it huh what did you name your quiz huh what what did you name your quiz? <laughs> audio quiz. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that <No>. was taken. <laughs> no. Um. Oh yeah, I know what it is.
0: Okay. All right,
1: so, up? All right. I've got an audio quiz for you. This quiz is called Magic Number. I don't like that name. Okay. This audio quiz is called. How many Loof Balloons? And what you're going to do is I'm going to play eight clips. That's a lot of clips, but I'm going to play eight clips. I want you to tell me the artist if you can, the song if you can, and the overriding theme. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. All right. Here you go. Track one. Track
3: two.
1: Track three,
4: let it go and cry, my dear. I am all out of love to mouth and to your ear, and
2: not above letting a
1: love. Track four, every
2: night and sleep all day. Since you took your love away. Oh, 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 oh.
1: Track five.
2: Every triangle has three corners Every triangle has three sides No more, no less You don't have to guess Track six Track seven
1: track eight
4: okay. shake you. Ooh.
0: what you think 100 percent, joe i think i think i i think i know a lot of them a lot of the song the song titles i think i feel pretty good about there's one one or two couple artists that i'm not quite positive on
1: We'll play the songs again at the
0: end of the episode and give you
1: the answers, so uh, you'll have one more chance to listen to them. I will say, if you are having trouble with the theme, go ahead and write down the songs you do know, and maybe that will help you.
0: All right, I'm going to go with the non-audio quiz, and the title for this one is Non-Audio Quiz. Oh, man. Yep, yep. Just gets better and better every week. Thank you. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a song. Okay. In some cases, I may even give you the artist, and I want you to tell me what TV show it was the theme of. Oh, gosh. Okay. And this will be great because you don't even have a TV. No. This is going to be, a, this is gonna be a, a bloodbath. I picked some old ones for you. Okay. Some um, classics. <laughs> okay. First one, Way Down in the Hole. The Wire. Very good. See? What about My Life by Billy Joel? Oh. I'll even give you that. First uh, Billy Joel reference of the day. It's a little early from the Joel. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't mentioned shit musicians yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Bosom Buddies featuring a very young Peter Scolari and Tom Hanks. Yep.
1: I've, I, I, I know of the show. They had, like, that one weird, very special episode,
0: right? Like. Um, I don't remember any very special episodes. <laughs> you mean, like, ripped from the headline special? <laughs> yeah, something like that.
1: I don't recall. They didn't have a strange. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I don't even want to say what it is, just in case that wasn't an actual.
0: Well, the whole show was them dressed up as women. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. That was the show. They dressed up as women, <laughs> pretending to be women, like to solve crimes. I don't recall them solving crimes. That might have been a special episode. <laughs> well, maybe that's the special episode I'm thinking. They no, they just dressed up as women because they needed jobs or something. I don't know. Huh. It's very. It was a very funny. It was a very funny show.
1: <laughs> okay. It's
0: hilarious. Sounds good. Yeah, I didn't get that one. Next one is Little Boxes. Oh, I never watched that show. Um, Weeds. Very good. I, I didn't watch it either, but I, I figured if I knew it, you probably knew it. And I love, I love Little Boxes. So yeah. yeah. All right. How about Making Our Dreams Come True? Who's the artist? I'm just going to tell you that it's a Milwaukee-based show. Instead. Okay. So is that, what, Laverne and Shirley? It is. Very good.
1: Okay. I'm trying to remember how that song goes. I just, the only thing I remember about that show is the glove on the beer bottle. It just goes around in my head. Yeah. and around. Yep, and they're
0: just looking at it, and they're very tired, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> um, how about, how about handbags and glad rags? This is not the Rod Stewart version, but that Rod Stewart version is very good. It's uh, the English office. Yes, it is. Very good. A couple softballs here. How about Bad Reputation? Oh, that was uh, Freaks and Geeks. Mm-hmm. And Love is All Around?
1: Mary Tyler Moore Show.
0: Very good. How about Think? This is by Merv Griffin.
5: Uh, this Jeopardy, right? This Is the Jeopardy
0: yes, song? Yes, it is. Good job. Yeah, I know was, I Griffin, was
1: Griffin wrote it.
0: He wrote it. I don't think he performed it. I think it was more of a... Somebody who probably stuck his name on something else somebody wrote and didn't give them any money. Seems yeah. like that kind of guy. Well... All right. How about In the Street? Um,
1: Gosh. What was that show? That 70s show.
0: Yeah. Another Milwaukee one, I think. Uh, Wisconsin, at least. And that do you know who that version was performed by?
1: It's not Big Star. Is it somebody like President of the United States of America or they might be giants or somebody? Cheap trick. Oh, okay. They're not they're not from
0: Wisconsin. They're not. They're from Rockford, just over the border.
1: Yeah, but I think we
0: all don't get along. <laughs> how how about Hey Sandy?
1: That is by, that's uh, Adventures
0: of Pete and Pete. Very good. And let's do Good Old Boys. <laughs> that's the <a> Dukes <laughs> of Hazzard.
1: Give him some nice, nice, easy ones. So, the guy that played Enos, he's from Valdosta, close to where we are. And he was uh, at uh, the Ray City Library doing an interview like two days ago. Are you shitting
0: me? Really? No. no. Did you
1: go? No, no. I I want to. I mean, I thought about going. That's one of my favorite spinoffs of all time. Oh, is it? Oh, I could have got you an autographed picture. No problem. I probably still can. Did you ever watch Enos? I've never seen. I've never seen the. Uh,
0: well, he's from classic.
1: he's from Valdosta, but he's you know he's pretty good friends with Burt Reynolds. He was in like Gator, Smokey and the Bandit, and all those.
0: Oh, I had no idea.
1: Yeah, but he was like a couple miles away, so. Well, what was the museum in Nashville? Uncle Jesse, not
0: Jesse, Uncle. No, it was Cooter's. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was Cooter's. <laughs> Cooter's Dukes of Hazard Museum. <laughs> it was right across from. I think it was right across the street from the Gaylord Hotel, which is a huge conference center in Nashville. If you ever, if you ever go there,
1: and it was like three or four rooms, but then there was a back room you had to pay to get into. And I want to know, like, what more could there have been? Porn. I guess, I guess, Daisy Dukes. (laughs) (laughs) But do you? Am I making that up? Is it? Wasn't there a back room you had to pay to get in? But like the first four rooms were free. We didn't pay for it
0: for sure. Right, I'm sure we didn't have the money.
1: I could be the richest man in the world. I'm not going to pay to go to Dukes of Hazard Museum. The General Lee was outside. Like what more? We kind of nowhere to go but down. That's true.
0: You're right. You're right. I'm I'm just going to do one more. Okay. I'm I'm rocking these. I'm doing much better. You're doing great. It's great. I thought, I mean, I can do a few more, but they only get easier. (laughs) That's fine. How about we just do, we'll close it out with Boss of Me.
1: That's uh, Malcolm in the Middle. And that's They Might Be Giants.
0: There you go. You had mentioned them earlier, so I thought I'd throw that one out. Yeah. That's all I got. Nice, nice, easy one, hopefully, for everybody out there. Good foreshadowing in that. Yeah, a couple of them, I think. Yep.
1: Nice work. All right, I think it's time to start our turntable
2: talk. Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear a word they say. Only the echoes of my mind.
1: Everywhere you look, you're surrounded by dead technology. The car you're driving, the television you're watching. The phone or computer that's playing this podcast. Next month it will be outpaced, next year it will be outdated, and next decade it will likely be obsolete. Proponents of technology always hail the latest and greatest as the critical next step toward inventive actualization. However, you probably wouldn't be collecting records or listening to the show if you didn't have some notion of the elegance and importance of antiquated technology, both as relics of times gone by and reflection of common needs that all humans share, no matter the era. This episode is an examination of an odd pairing of two technologies that seem to be falling by the wayside, telephones and jukeboxes. Devices that required human interaction, as well as modern technology on both ends of the line. Today, an examination of Shiver's Multiphone and the legacy of dial-up music.
0: Jukeboxes in some form or fashion have been around since the late 1880s when Louis Glass patented a device with the wildly inventive handle of nickel-in-the-slot phonograph that was housed at the Palace Royal Saloon in San Francisco. It played a single wax cylinder, usually a popular body bar tune like Down Went McGinty, Pretty as a Butterfly, or Rip Van Winkle Polka. In this era, prior to radio and television, the city went absolutely bonkers for this new entertainment device, and the jukebox era was born. The technology evolved rapidly, wax cylinders making way for 78s, one-song boxes bowing to multiplex machines, which rocked up to 12 songs. Better sound, better amplification. Taverns, restaurants, and cafes would get their hands on the machines and become known as juke joints a southern term brought up from African-American workers migrating north, which did not yet hold the racist stigma. Eventually, the Wurlitzer and Seaberg companies would start putting jukeboxes in high production, and in the 30s, they would provide a nickel-cost escape from the drudgery and horror of the Depression. Across the
1: pond, another technology which had been around for decades was putting music in the ears of Europeans. In 1881, the Theatrophone was developed in France which was able to use a telephonic broadcast system with wires run through the sewer system to transmit sounds to up to 48 listeners at once.
0: I hear the sound of that was kind of shitty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Theater phones were set up in hotels, cafes, clubs, and theaters around Paris. People could pay a small fee for five minutes of listening to programs. They had theater shows, news programs, or popular tunes from a music library. All these were publicly broadcast at designated times and intervals. The service also provided a discount rate for subscribers, the most famous of these being Marcel Proust. In London, a British equivalent of this technology was developed, or perhaps stolen, called the Electrophone. Not to be totally outdone, the Yanks were also using telephone lines to broadcast music. In 1897, New York lawyer, Thaddeus Cahill got a patent for a machine that was called the dynamophone. Apparently, however, that name was not nearly catchy enough. So Cahill changed his invention to be called a much more succinct telharmonium, which just totally rolls off the tongue. (laughs) That is ridiculous. (laughs) That's the opposite of what would happen today. One thing I could say about um, people naming stuff in the 1930s. They were horrible at it. They would just put two crazy sounding words together.
0: Anyways. Dr. Squidgey's (coughs) ear sound
1: machine. (laughs) The machine took an entire floor of a building and is considered to be one of the first electronic synthesizer instruments. It required two people playing music via keyboards attached to rotors, generators, and wires that would be transmitted via telephone networks from the hub to restaurants, hotels, and homes continuously 24 hours a day. Subscribers would ask phone operators to hook them into the telharmonium, and in a few moments, they would be hearing elect- the electrically generated music. This would stream from their phone receiver, which was fitted with an enormous paper funnel, to increase the volume as electric amplification was yet to be invented.
0: Like what a dog would wear when it's not supposed to scratch his ears, I assume.
1: Something very similar, I imagine. Okay. With radio being a few decades off, people would gladly pay 20 cents for an hour of on-demand entertainment. Apparently, Mark Twain was a big fan as, after seeing the mechanics, he was quoted as saying, Every time I see or hear a new wonder like this, I have to postpone my death right off. It was like, like it came back (laughs) from the grave.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're not the only one that has good voices, Joe. Oh, I know! I know that was a uh, that was great. I didn't know he was a uh, liverpudlian. <laughs>
1: I was trying to go
0: for a kind of a
1: cross between Foghorn Leghorn and uh, Bernie Sanders. Perfect. That was that was you nailed it. Every time I see or hear a new wonder like this, I have to po 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 spone my death right off.
0: <laughs> you add Porky Pig to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the future. The in 1930s. A young entrepreneur, mechanical whiz, and early entertainment mogul, Kenneth Shiver, and his wife Lois saw an opportunity in combining Europe's two-line phone systems with America's fervor for coin-operated phonographs. In 1935... Shiver began building a piece of technology called the Multiphone, which was a musical selection device that used telephone lines and real life DJs to operate. In a sense, Shiver basically invented Spotify. He is also credited as being instrumental in developing pinball with his 1934 coin automatic game called Cannonfire. The Multiphone service operated from 1939 to 1959. The machine would be placed on tables, counters, or bars like a Flowbee, and a patron would insert a nickel or a dime later in its life and they would be connected with a DJ on the end of the line. The patron would make a selection from the rotating song menu on the machine. The voice on the other side was one of a team of all-female dedicated phone operator disc jockeys in the Central Music Library in Seattle. These ladies would greet the patron, pull the requested record, lay down the needle, and the music would play back to the machine from a different phone line. No doubt some of the lonely barflies probably enjoyed having some companionship, even from miles away. As the music would play back, groups would gather around the box enjoying the communal listening experience over their corned beef hash or while nursing their rainier beer. Or they're like me, both at the same time. So really you could say that Shiver also created the 976 lines. And while the entire country was falling in love with jukeboxes, the Multiphone had an edge on its competitors with the variety it provided listeners. Even the most advanced jukeboxes in the late 30s and early 40s could only play at most 24 songs. Multiphones boasted a selection of 170 rotating numbered songs, ranging from popular numbers, dinner music, wartime songs, instrumentals, Western songs, Irish songs and Scandinavian songs. Let it go. Like most jukeboxes, song selections could be replaced with the latest hits.
1: The machine itself was a thing of beauty. Classic Art Deco style, standing 50 centimeters tall, like a mini Empire State Building adorned in chrome and red velvet. It was built in the wall to hide the phone lines. The structure had two red lights to indicate when the machine was connected a coin slot at the top, users would speak into a microphone located about halfway up the machine, and below that was a cylinder that held the sheet with all the song selections, which could be rotated using a thumb wheel. The bottom half held the speaker and a sturdy stand. It truly was one of the coolest-looking jukeboxes. It was more than functional technology. It really commanded the attention of the room.
0: Doesn't that seem so different from things today? Today you have... Instead of like beautiful jukeboxes, you have a monitor screen and it just kind of looks ugly for the most part in most bars. It just, it's so different. Everything's supposed to be smaller and it just ends up looking crappier today.
1: Yeah, and I think everything's supposed to be kind of like, it's supposed to look high tech as opposed to look beautiful,
0: you know. And things that look high tech today, two years from now, just look outdated so it doesn't last and this would still look great today.
1: Yeah, it looks amazing. It's just, they're really, really cool, cool looking machines. Uh, Of course, we'll have a picture on our our website, but um, it's something where, like, I could see somebody who purchased one for their establishment would be real proud of it, and it would be what people would come to try out or what people would come to listen to. If you think about it, like, before recorded music, which is real relatively a new thing music was supposed to be a communal thing you know whether in church or going out to a concert or to a bar like music was a communal type situation it wasn't until we got the phonograph records and then eventually walkman and you know ipods and you know all the stuff now where it's more personal but like i think this is still of an era where you're supposed to be listening to music with a lot of people
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was also like after dinner, families would sing or they'd sit out on the porch and people would come over and sing. From you know, from the books that we've been reading and the research we've been doing about other topics, it seems to come up pretty consistently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, have you ever been to one of those diners that has a phone connected next to the wall? I can't think of the name of what that's called.
1: There might be some confusion. That this is the same thing. Those, are, I think, are called wall the Seasburg Company. Mm -hmm. put those out and you see those like in old like 50s diners either authentic ones or ones that are trying to be like that and that's one where you can just make a selection and they're all hooked up to one big jukebox that kind of plays for the whole restaurant Um, but all the selections are at your table this is you know very different because it would actually call out to seattle or wherever and then they would pull the the record to put it on for you but they kind of had a similar idea i think those must have came later
0: i remember being at one where it just played for the table but yeah it's still not as cool as the shivers one but it was it sounds it sounds very similar at least or a little bit
1: and they look similar i think they have that kind of tabletop look to them those are those are pretty cool too i think my favorite diner in denver uh, davy's chuck wagon used to have those i wonder if they still do
0: We'll have to go go and find out. I've been there in a long time. When I was in my early
1: 20s, they had the 325 steak and eggs meal. By the time I went back, it was up to 375.
0: So, If we were to ever have a meetup with our fans <laughs> in Denver, that's where we would go.
1: Yep. It would fit all of them. Yep. It would fit you and me. There you go. It's a pretty small place. It does have a giant cowboy outside and a uh, horse on top of it. It's a great place. At the height of their popularity, there were over 8,000 functional multiphones, mostly on the west coast and especially in the Pacific Northwest because they are hipsters.
0: I think they ended up building like those tall bikes out of them when they, <laughs> when they went out of, out of business. <laughs>
1: yes, they um they used it to hold their mustache wax and um craft gin. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we have any fans in Portland.
0: We certainly don't now.
1: We've They probably have podcasts like this, like on every corner. The jukebox era was really the first time that public entertainment and technology intersected with great success. The novelty of commanding the medium of the music was equally as important as the song itself. But, as with all technology, its lifespan is limited. In March of 1949, RCA Victor released a newer, smaller more durable disc for playing music, with use in jukeboxes as a primary goal. With the prominence of the 45 giving rise in the 50s, jukeboxes had found an ideal new partner, and soon could hold over 100 songs in a single machine. Multiphones and their DJ operators were put on hold. By 1959, the multiphones' lines weren't dead, and the machines were lost to time.
0: When you were doing research for this, did you see any that were for sale at all or or anybody that has any out on display anywhere? Well, r- originally,
1: the idea kind of came from we were taking a road trip to the Georgia Rural Telephone Museum, which is... Of course is in, you were. Yeah, yeah. It's in Leslie, Georgia. It's about an hour away. It's, it's kind of close to where all the Jimmy Carter, like, planes is and all that stuff. And so... We said there's a Georgia Rural Telephone Museum we should go there. And so when we went there, it is gigantic, like three or four warehouses of phones.
0: I can't believe we were making fun of Portland and you're talking about going to <laughs> a, a rural phone museum as being a cool family outing. The okay, ma- the, go ahead.
1: the mayor of the <laughs> the mayor of the town was also the curator of the museum. And he was the only person there, a super super sweet guy, and he walked us around. I mean, they have everything from Alexander Graham Bell's initial models all the way to, like, Garfield landline phones and everything in between. They have a lot of creepy models. Um, They have a bunch of Jimmy Carter's phones, like the phones he would, you know, his super secure White House phones. He he was friends with uh, Grandpa who started the museum. They had a satellite stuffed bear, just weird stuff. But anyways, as we were going through... I saw this one thing that it looked like a phone jukebox. And so I asked the guy, I said, what is this? And so he kind of told me a little bit about these multi-phones, how there's basically a phone jukebox. And I thought that was really cool. And I didn't really think much about it. And then uh, we were talking about different ideas and how we wanted to kind of hit on some of the, the more fun kind of obsolete technology with music. And this one kind of came, came up. So I have seen one in person. It seems like there is they are collectible. So people try to get them. I don't think they're that rare where they're super, super expensive, but you're definitely going to spend some money to get a multifone or pieces of a multifone, as it were.
0: Seems like with 8,000 of them, there should still be some floating around.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think probably it was the sort of thing where Once the service was out of business, they probably just got packed up in a box somewhere and, you know, I'm sure they show up all the time. So, and they're pretty cool looking. Uh, I know we talked about that a little bit. So I could see people just kind of keeping them around because they look neat. You know, they, they look like a sturdy, cool, well-designed thing that I think even prior to our heavily nostalgic uh, culture, I think people would still want to keep those around.
0: Yeah, I think it. I can't imagine not want kind of wanting one of those. I would love to have one of those. Somewhere. Oh yeah,
1: it'd be it'd be great in a living room. It'd be great, you know, like next to your records. It would just look
0: really cool. Yeah, so. yeah, pretty much anywhere. It would seem that the marriage between phones and music was forever shattered, until a couple of geeky musicians in Brooklyn had an idea to push their oddball music via the telephone and a brilliant bastardization of the use of music on hold which has forced impatient customers to listen to Muzak while waiting for the next available representative since the 60s. In the early 80s two guys who were both named John had recently formed a band called they might be giants and had begun playing out a lot attracting a lot of people who might have just been maybe a little burnt out on punk and no wave at that point. In 1983 they were unable to play live. One of them broke his arm in a bicycle accident. The other had his apartment burgled.
1: I assume that it was some sort of elaborate Gift of the Magi type situation.
0: I think it was. Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay.
0: I wish They should have described it that way. would have been nice. <laughs> During this hiatus from clubs, the two wrote and recorded songs at a breakneck pace, as I think they still do. They wanted to find a way to get these songs to a fan base that was just starting to grow. So they came up with an idea. They put a song onto a cassette. They put the cassette into their answering machine as the outgoing message. They took an ad out in the Village Voice personal section with their phone number listed for their new service called Dial-A-Machine, which was based on the already existing Dial-A-Prayer service. The name was quickly changed to what we all know now as dial a song using the personal section may not have been their first choice but it was the least expensive option for placing an ad they didn't have very much money being concerned about getting in trouble for doing that the first few ads didn't contain any information about the band's name so they would put information about it like at their at their shows or wherever once they started playing again the responses were for the most part pretty positive there were However, a few negative comments, and I think that they were even able to leave these on the machine because there are recordings of them, and they ended up playing them in parts of songs. Like, there's one that they label as Fat Danny Aykroyd, and here's, here's a clip of that one.
2: Hey, how come the big fat guy never talks? How come it's always the little scrawny guy who
3: gives the information at the end of the tape?
2: I want to hear the big fat guy who looks like Danny Aykroyd,
0: only fatter.
1: That was kind of prophetic
0: back then, you know. Yes, it was. There there is now a fat Danny Aykroyd. (laughs) There was another one with a confused caller whose name was Gloria. She left a message, and it also ended up being used in a song of theirs. Now, the official Dial-A-Song wiki, which is where I got a lot of this information— they describe the call with uh, with this highlights of the conversation include Gloria asking her male friend to explain his theory of how he can make money off this stuff because it don't make no sense. And Gloria calling out to a Russian sounding man who replies to her asking, who's there may be giants. <laughs> Popularity picked up pretty quickly and new people started attending their shows, even after the band was signed to Bar None Records. They kept running the service. In fact, they kept it running until 2008. The songs were usually demos of songs that later appeared on albums or rare and unreleased tracks. Some of them still haven't been released. In 2008, because of how unreliable the answering machines were and how many they were going through, combined with the Internet's ability to disseminate songs to much larger groups very quickly, the service closed up shop. In 2015, they started it up again with a new phone number, a website for downloading songs, and an email list where songs would be emailed to subscribers for a nominal fee, $30. A new song was released every week. This iteration lasted one year, 52 total songs. In 2018, another version was started, this time for the first six months of the year. A new song was released every other week, and for the second half of the year, new songs from their next album would appear every other week or sooner whenever possible.
1: Of course, we know where the story goes from there. Tapes and duping, CDs and burning, internet MP3s, those touchtone jukeboxes, internet music underground, Pandora, YouTube, Spotify. Music is more accessible than ever, which is great, and it is horrible. We have neither the time nor the desire to debate what this age of post-ownership music and total musical access means or creates what it does to the artist or what it does to the listeners. But suffice to say, long live physical media and the crazy inventors who will always find brilliant methods to get the music to the masses.
0: It's so cool finding out about things like this, just discovering stuff, or you discovering it, and it's exactly why I'm glad that we started this because I never would have heard of I never would have heard of this. I'm not going to Leslie, Georgia. <laughs>
1: Oh, we're going to Leslie Georgia next time you come down. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think it's sort of outside our normal parameters of what we do on the show. But I think it's kind of important because I think, you know, it's sort of like the medium is the message a lot of times with music. And I think as we get so focused on the musical history from the standpoint of the people involved – it's also kind of important to take a look at it from the viewpoint of the listeners and how it shaped their life. And so every once in a while, I think, you know, doing a a show on, on kind of this obsolescent technology is kind of fun. It's kind of fun. There's always good stories. And I got a chance to perfect my Mark Twain accent. So that's always good, too. There you go. Did you ever call that There Might Be Giant's Line? I didn't.
0: No. Uh, did you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember doing that in high school. I don't remember a lot about it. I don't remember being able to leave a message. Of course, by then they were pretty popular. Like you know, they're on MTV and stuff. I I just remember you can call and hear a song.
0: Yeah, I doubt at that point you could actually leave a message, but it seems like you could have at some point early on, maybe.
1: I mean, they were pretty big, but by the point I would have listened to them in high school, they were, you know, you talking about they don't let start and birdhouse yep. and your soul and Istanbul and not Constantinople. All, you know that those are all out by then. Yep, yep. Do you remember ever calling any, like, freaky numbers? Like, there was different numbers <laughs> that had. <laughs> well, <laughs> like that involved credit cards. Miss <laughs> Cleo. No, no. You, you don't remember OK Soda? No, I don't know what that is. There's the soda where it had a number and you could call toll-free and leave a story or hear a story. And so you could call and leave a story about OK Soda or how things are okay. Details are vague. In my mind. So I could be making a lot of this stuff up. So I looked up to see if there are any of these numbers still. Like numbers where you could call and and dial and get a song. The only one I found that still seems to be working. Is uh, there's a number you can call. To hear Smash Mouth's
0: All Star. On repeat. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of nice. It might be like the lead singer's home phone. (laughs) (laughs) Please leave a message, guys. <laughs> it's like the perfect soundtrack song, I guess. I mean, I good for them.
1: Yeah, that guy—that guy's laughing all the way to the bank. Exactly. So,
0: yeah. Yep.
1: Get in bed with Shrek. You're gonna have some green babies, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Are you ready to play some songs? Yeah, let's do that.
0: The first song we are going to play will be by Uncle Dave Macon, and it's called "Keep My Skillet Good and Greasy."
3: I'd goin' downtown for to buy me a sack of flour. Quite, cook it every hour. Keep my skillet good and greasy all the time. Keep my skinny good and easy all the time I've chickens in my sack, blood hounds on my track I'm pulling for my shanty (laughs) home, home, home I'm pulling for my shanty home If they beat me to the door, I'll put them under the floor Keep my skilly good and greasy all the time, time, time Keep my skilly good and greasy all the time I was walking down the street and I stole a ham of meat Got my skilly good and greasy all the time, time, time Got my skinny good and freezy all the time. I'm gwine to the hills for to buy me a jug of brandy. Gwine to give it all to Mandy. Keep her good and drunk and woozy all the time. time, time. Keep her good and drunk and woozy all the time. A move. I lay round your shanty all the time, top, top I lay round your shanty all the time. <laughs> There's a man on the low Finger on trigger and eye on the hole Gun it went blip And the bullet did went zip Fell on the hole with all of his grip Got my skilly good and the time. Got my skillet good and the
0: time. Alright, that was Uncle Dave Macon with Keep My Skillet Good and Greasy. The compilation that I have this on is from 1975 on Bear Family Records. Bear Family is the greatest archivist of American country music. They're a label based in Germany. If you haven't heard of them, they just have the best collections of everything American country you can imagine. But Uncle Dave Macon is who I was going to talk about. And Uncle Dave Macon is like the Grand Ole Opry's first superstar. He didn't start making music until he was 50. And that song that that you just heard was recorded in 1921. So he's been around for a long time. And in fact, we've mentioned in the past that in 1927, I think when the Carter family and Jimmy Rogers were recorded at this legendary session, by that point he'd already had over a hundred songs cut. Dang. He cared a lot more about entertaining than anything else, like he would be playing, spinning his banjo around, throwing it up in the air and not missing a beat, kind of like Jimi Hendrix banjo at 50-something years old. (laughs) He was just doing all kinds of weird stuff and always trying to be super funny. And he ended up releasing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recordings. He was one of the very first early musicians to tour when he was in vaudeville with Black Artists, which was very rare at the time. From what I was able to gather, the song itself, though credited generally to him, or um, he's often given credit as the first person to record it, possibly have written it, it's probably a song that was written by African Americans um, in the South. The song just gets stuck
1: in my head since you sent it to me last week.
0: Yeah, it's a great, a very good earworm. I think I first heard it when I was living in New York in 2001, a friend put it on a cassette, and I've had it in my head ever since. It's I love it. I finally got it on vinyl on this Bear Family release, and I'm very, very happy that I have it.
1: All right. My first song is called Summer Baby by a band called Polaris.
4: Baby, come on, baby, show me the town I didn't know that you'd be such a short visit Once a year I noticed that you're not around Mama says you went, when you were exquisite If you seen all i where you came from Last night we were hypothesizing that you were an angel Sometimes it feels like you're looking down
1: That was Summer Baby by Polaris, and that was from Music from the Adventures of Pete and Pete, which we'd mentioned earlier in the show when we were talking about TV shows. Uh, that was my favorite TV show when I was, oh, you know, late teens, mid-teens. I don't remember when it came out. I just remember loving that show. It was a weird show. It was, you know, it was a fun show. So Polaris is basically Miracle Legion – Minus uh, Ray Neal. The showrunners of Pete and Pete were huge fans of Miracle Legion. And they approached Mark was it Mulcahy and asked if, you know, they would, if Miracle Legion would basically write the theme to the song and make some appearances. Uh, Ray Neal just wasn't into it. And so he, he dropped out. But the rest of the band, you know, did it. and And they were kind of like a house band for the show they they appear in the in the theme song at the beginning of the shows and they have one episode uh where they're a huge part of the plot and this has been kind of a frame of reference of mine since the show if you haven't seen the show it's called the heart the episode's titled Hard Days Pete and so basically little Pete is driving through late for school and he stops and there's this garage band playing and it's um Polaris and they're playing the song Summer Baby. And so he loves the song and he goes on to school. And when he comes back the next day, the band's gone. And so the whole show is about him trying to recapture this lost song. And that's something I think, especially back in the day before we had Shazam and Internet to find all these things, and still a little bit, but like hearing a song that you love and then losing it, that is such an identifiable identifiable feeling and so i always call those my, my pete pete and pete moment where i <laughs> heard, heard a song and then it's gone my, my my greatest one is i was listening to mexican radio in denver and a song came on and the it was it's like a spanish language david bowie song it was incredible i still like i can there's just traces of the song still in my head somewhere and i have no idea who it was or what it was called or even if i could identify it again but in my head somewhere out there there's a, a spanish language david bowie and i keep thinking that maybe if i keep listening enough i'll hear it again but anyways uh i'm way off track uh so <laughs> but the whole album adventures from pete and pete is great and i had the cd and then i got real excited i didn't even know I knew Polaris before I knew Miracle Legion. Then I met Joe, and Joe introduced me to Miracle Legion. And at some point, like those two worlds came crashing together. Oh, it's the same guy. That's great. And so for 2015, they reissued the music from The Adventures of Pete and Pete on Mizzotent for record store day. And I begged my, my local record store to try to get it. And I think she tried and just couldn't. So it was gone, and it was much like I'd lost my Pete and Pete song once again. <laughs> because it went. It's, it was ridiculous on Discogs. It was like close to $100. You know, I guess they didn't make very many of them. But uh, fortunate for me, Mizotents went ahead and did another printing a couple years ago, and I was able to finally get it, and my Pete and Pete moment had come full circle, and I had found my song again. I'll try to link that whole episode if I can. You should watch it. It's great. Have you seen that episode? I have
0: not. I don't think I've ever seen a Pete and Pete show.
1: Oh, it's great. They had Iggy Pops in a lot of them and uh, Steve Buscemi. You know, it's a kid's show, but it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so my next song, moving right along. This is The Wedding Present, and this is a song called Davney Chasney. So, John Peel, who we've talked about before, absolutely loved the wedding present. And he'd invite him to come and do sessions at his studio, uh, his radio sessions. And so, the guitarist for the wedding present, Peter Solokwa, I don't know how you say his last name, his father is Ukrainian. So, he would occasionally, for friends, play this Ukrainian folk tune called Hupka. So one night they were goofing around in the radio sessions and they went ahead and just played and recorded that song. And so John Peel heard it and kind of loved it and they were all fired up by Soloka's enthusiasm. And so John Peel said, well, why don't you just do a whole session just dedicated to these Ukrainian folk songs? And so that one session turned into three sessions. They'd bring in other singers who actually spoke Ukrainian because I don't think any of them did. (laughs) So by the end of it, they had basically, you know, nine or 10 Ukrainian songs, uh, through these peel sessions. And they're great. I mean, they're, they are legitimate Ukrainian songs, but you can hear the like jangly fast guitar playing and, and it still sounds like the wedding present. Uh, it's not David Gedge singing it's other people, but it's still just great. And it definitely has that kind of wedding present sound, uh, which you can hear. So they went through some weird record label stuff. Uh, They were going to release it on their own record label, and then I think that went under. And so RCA kind of bought them up, or they were going to release it as one big album. And they thought this song, Daphne Chasney, could have totally been a top 10 hit if it were in English. And they begged them to re-record it in English version, which would have been Those Were the Days, My Friend. But the band refused, and they just put it out as Dabney Chasny in Ukrainian. And it's just this kind of fun, fascinating relic of an indie band that decided to do some Ukrainian stuff. And John Peel, who supported them and was able to make that a viable option for them. It's just a ton of fun.
0: And you can absolutely hear that guitar, and you know it's the wedding present immediately. Even the drumming. Is very yes. wedding present, and you can hear David Gedge kind of every once in a while shout out something or sing backup, and you know his voice is very obvious, and it's it just sounds like they were having a lot of fun.
1: And I will say they just reissued this, and Joe and I were looking one night, and the reissue is kind of expensive, even for a new reissue, because I think it comes with a DVD and stuff, and it was it's like thirty dollars maybe maybe a little bit more, and so Joe's like, well. Have you checked how much an original is? And I found a pretty cheap, decent copy. And so, I was like, well, let me go ahead and get that. I, I'd heard I'd heard all the songs before, but it was kind of fun to have it on vinyl. Just a cool, cool thing to have.
0: Yeah, and the original is a ten inch. At least that mine is a ten Right, yeah,
1: yeah that's what I got, a ten inch, yes. And
0: it it's better cover art than the reissue.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean the name, it's all in Ukraine, like I couldn't even begin to try to pronounce
0: how you say it. Yeah, it looks like one of those Russian bootlegs. It does, it does. Um, those are my two songs. Very good. Our last song for the night is Art Neville with Little Girl from the Candy Store.
2: Here's a kid in the candy store Never thought I would love it so But you've grown up as such a fine young lady And now you're just about to drive me crazy Every day I love you more and more Little girl from the candy store Every night my tears flow, Gotta have you, baby Little girl from the candy store Went to the store yesterday a diamond, this a diamond, that is what I said. But you didn't pay me no mind. You waited on two people at the same time. Only reason I came, you know, was to tell you that I love you so. All in the days I'm gonna get you, you know, little girl from the candy store. Every day I love In there. A pretty flower in a pretty hand. I'll take my chances for the rest of my life. Trying to get the candy girl to be my wife. Every day I love you more and more. More more, more and more now. You sweet little candy girl. Every night yeah. my tears yeah. flow. I got a have. Girl. Every night, my I just gotta have you. The candy store. Every day, I love you more and more. More and more, I got yeah.
0: That was Art Neville with Little Girl from the Candy Store, and Art Neville, one of the Neville brothers. This Neville, I think, has the best voice out of all of them, and they're all good singers.
1: There's some fighting words right there.
0: Well, it's, God, his voice is awesome. Uh... But he didn't have much released for, with him singing. Hmm. So he actually, he's the one who formed the first kind of, uh, the first iteration of the Neville Brothers, and it was a band called the Neville Sounds, which was Aaron, Cyril, Art, and then it also had, like, three other guys in it that weren't Neville's. But eventually, Aaron and Cyril left to form their own band, and the band that Art had put together changed their name to The Meters. So he formed The Meters. They were around a, a, for, for a while, and then he left, and he formed the Neville Brothers. So he put that band back together, too. This song, Little Girl from the Candy Store, or was recorded in 1962 and never released. It's an Alan Toussaint song, and I got it. I found it on an Art Neville compilation put out in 1988 on Charlie Records, which is just a a reissue label. It's been around for a while, and the collection is called Rockin' Soul Hootenanny. He's got a lot of really good songs on there. I'd never really heard much. I heard this one somewhere, maybe on one of those Mississippi cassette compilations, and I just fell in love with it. I think it's a great... Great track, another one that I think is really hard to get out of your head. Rock and Soul Hootenanny is such a great name. All right.
1: And so I think all we have left is to settle up on a bit of trivia.
0: Okay, let's do it.
1: All right, so I'm going to go ahead and play the eight clips again. Uh, Remember, we're looking for artist and song and the theme that holds them all together. All right, here we go.
3: Track one Murder, work, dejected, Your don't think that I got no respect.
1: Track two <laughs> Track three I let
4: it go and crack my dear I am all out of love to mouth in two years. And
2: not above letting a love.
1: Track four. Every
2: night and sleep all day. Since you took your love away.
1: Whoa. Track five.
2: Every triangle has three corners. Every triangle has three sides. No more, no less. You don't have to guess.
1: Track six. Track seven.
4: Power
1: so
4: the, to town. the, the
1: town again. Track eight. Okay. Now Alright, Joe, how'd you do?
0: I think I did okay. Okay. Track one, I think, is Elvis Costello with less than zero. Absolutely. Track two, Madness with One Step Beyond. Very good. Track three, Ockerville River with plus ones. You got it. Track four, Prince with Nothing Compares to You.
1: Very good, very good.
0: Track five is three is a magic number, but I don't remember who sang it.
1: That would be Schoolhouse Rock.
0: Oh, that's it. Okay, I didn't know if it was a person's name. Okay, thank you. I didn't know if there was a name, name associated.
1: I know. De La Soul sampled pretty heavily on their song. I think it's just called Magic Number. hmm But uh, I just went with the
0: original. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Track six, Dave Brubeck with Take Five. Correct. Track seven, R.E.M. with Driver 8. That's right. And track eight, Big Star with 13. Very good. Very good. So, what did you think the theme was? I have no idea. I think it's um just kidding. I think it's all songs with numbers in them.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. Okay. Okay. But there's it's a little bit more.
0: Oh. If you list them out, um they go 00, zero well, zero, 01 1 2 3 5 8 13. Those numbers
1: mean anything to you? Zero one one two three five eight thirteen.
0: Is that your phone number?
1: <laughs> if you call that number, if you call that number, you hear Smash Mouth's "All Star."
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> so funny! Uh, no, what it, um, it's a
1: famous mathematical sequence. Does that help? What is it it is the fibonacci sequence
0: oh okay okay. which is
1: pretty pretty famous math thing
0: yeah um man i thought it was all numbers
1: yeah that one was i knew i knew the theme was gonna be kind of hard i good one but i tried to make the song i've tried to make the songs kind of easy so if anybody got that one out there let let me know i want to i'm still i'm trying to gauge how hard i should make these things um and, well, uh, like,
0: I felt really good about the quiz until you went with Fibonacci sequence. At the end of-
1: <laughs> it was a little out of uh, out of <laughs> realm of uh, good decency and, and musical quiz. But uh, <laughs> we want to we want to educate as well as entertain here on this podcast. Anyways, uh, yeah, you should write us and let us know if you got that, or write us and let us know if you didn't get it, or just contact us in any way. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we've been, we've been picking up a little bit on the downloads, which is great, which means you guys are telling people or people are finding us more, which is great. So we appreciate that. As always, please, uh, go support some musicians, some music stores, some great record labels. Go buy some records, spend some money on some worthy people and, and get some, some music that you love. I know I, I put an a order I'm pretty excited about with Bull Moose today. So that's always a good thing. Do
0: you want to give a hint as to anything you placed in that order? Yeah, it wouldn't be anything
1: that I would play on the show, I don't think. I've been listening a lot to uh, the band Earth, and they did another pressing of Bees Made Honey in the Lion's Skull. Do you know that record?
0: No, I don't know if I do, actually. I'm not sure. I know the band. I like them. like them quite a bit.
1: Oh, it's a great cover. It's sort of like uh, it's kind of kind of like Western metal, Enio Morcone, um type stuff, but it's basically based off or a lot of it's derived off uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. It's it's just a cool record. I'm, I'm, I'll put I'll post a picture of it on on uh, Instagram when it comes. Yeah, I was excited. I checked Bull Moose to see if they had it because I'd rather get it through them than get it through you know. The big guy that could be here in one day, but you feel a little bit better supporting good people. So I would do that if you can,
0: and contact us too. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. We're pretty easy to find. Instagram now too. Highway HiFi Podcast. It's pretty simple. And on Twitter, our handle is Highway HiFi Pod. Or email us and tell us a story about hearing a song and never being able to quite find it. At highway high five podcast at gmail dot com, and this isn't something we mention much anymore. But it would be really great if you could go out to iTunes and give us give us a good rating or something. That would help a lot of people find the find the show.
1: Yeah, I think we're currently one thousand seven hundred thirty second on music podcast, but we've got one thousand seven hundred thirty one in
0: our sights. Yep, yep, we're coming, we're coming at you. Spando Ballet <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the Spando Ballet Company. <laughs> Spando Ballet, okay. Podcast. We're, we're going we're, down. We're on your. We're on your tail.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be great if you could help us out with ratings. But we we do appreciate everybody that listens and. We will be back next time. We got some topics that are real excited about. So yep, we will see you soon. I could be the richest man in the world, I'm not gonna pay to go to Dukes of Hazard Museum.
4: It's NFL
5: draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football